A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook uh, and this week it's a rather special event uh, because we're celebrating 40 years of sun gardening uh, with a little reception in the Farmers Club. Now to set the scene, uh, we're uh, first floor up looking out over Whitehall Gardens across to the London Eye. A really stunning morning, bright blue sky and beneath us all the beds full of uh, brightly coloured polyanthus. It really is a fantastic event and inevitably I'm casting my mind back a bit. Uh, My first uh, visit to the Sun newspaper was in Bouverie Street uh, when uh, the type was set with heavy metal and I well remember going up to the third floor on a cranking steel lift uh, to meet the then features editor Jerry Holmberg. Goodness how things have changed. If you'd have told me then that um, the 500 or 600 words we submitted in black and white on a sheet of A4 on a Tuesday uh, would change to electronic, immediate typesetting and the ability to take our own photographs to speak to you uh, with this podcast and of course communicate online it really is a remarkable and fast changing world Uh, I hope in the course of today to just catch up with a few people to reflect on uh, some of those thoughts and stories mustn't forget the news of course and a few tips for this week Now I've been out and about and on one garden centre in Kent, Millbrook, I understand they've had a very successful presentation on fairy gardening. What is all this about people making little gardens with fairies? Uh, It's something I think we might have a bit of a go at at uh, Chelsea. And the garden relief that uh, many of the people in the trade uh, spent a Friday trying to raise money for... uh, Greenfingers, the children's hospice charity, that has been tremendously successful. And since uh, 2012, they've raised over half a million pounds to improve the gardens uh, at these uh, very deserving places. Uh, A quick tip too, I had uh, an email from Chaz, uh, Chaz Hodges of Chaz and Dave, who just had a deliver of strawberry manure tipped onto his allotment and said, would it be all right to put down rows of onions? Well, with manure... If the straw will break easily when you pull it and it's brown, then yes, it's usually usable. Uh, But if the straw still has its structure and won't break, then it needs to be composted uh, for another two or three months, really. I've just used some of that kind of material to mulch under black currants. It'll do a good job there, holding in the moisture and smothering weeds. Chris Stevens, you were my features editor for several years. Chris, you're the fellow who came up with that uh, brilliant headline, 
junior petunia. I mean, I had a plant called Mill Floor, which really didn't sell anything very much. Yes, yeah, so I remember you saying we need to, we, we want something that's geared towards young people. And so we talked about what it was like, that sort of came into my mind. And you were saying, oh, that's brilliant, that's what we want, and uh, went away. And that was the last I thought of it. Until a couple of weeks later, he said, uh, they all loved it. And I told them that you'd have had to pay an advertising agency thousands of pounds to have got something like that. And, and they would, yes. And meetings, and uh, you'd have had lunches and all that sort of thing. And so they ought to give you something. Oh, I said, well, a few plants would be great, thanks very much. And um, anyway, the following week, I was at home in Windsor, and uh, this lorry turned up outside the house, festooned with... Pallets of <laughs> pallets of, of plants, and I said, oh, "That's good." He bought me a few things, and I said, "Yeah, which ones are mine?" The guy said, "They're all yours. So we're unloading the lot." <laughs> and so the whole uh, the Windsor by, by the end of the week, the Windsor was ready for Britain in bloom. Should have should have walked it if only they'd been not been too snooty to enter it. <laughs> Chris, you deserved it. We're still talking about <laughs> Junior Petunia all those years later. Oh, another very welcome guest is. Uh, the great Royals photographer, Arthur Edwards. Goodness, he's been so much help to me over the years. Uh, we have some good memories too, Arthur, don't we? We absolutely do. We've travelled a bit and, uh, and we met a few of the Royal family. And you've met them all now, Peter, I think, thanks to me. Well, yes, you kicked it off with the uh, visit of Prince Charles a, a long, long time ago. Uh, you were sent down on the Monday with the instruction to get pictures, and, and you were up and down Sunflower Street saying, when are the royals coming, when are the royals coming? And I said, they won't come here, we're the Sun newspaper, you know. The RHS doesn't really want the Sun newspaper people meeting the royals. And then I saw Prince Charles walking along. And sure enough, his route was uh, not our route, and he was and he was going everywhere but our garden. And I said, "Excuse me, Prince Charles." I said, "Why don't you come and have a look at our garden?" And he looked at me and he said, "Oh, okay." And he came over, and uh, Peter, of course, went into sort of Uriah Heat mode and, <laughs> and made it and made them very welcome. And then that that year, we didn't only have the Prince of Wales; we had the Queen, no we had the Queen Mother, we had Princess Margaret, we had the Crown Prince of Japan, we had Chelsea Clinton, I think every every super guest at the Chelsea Flower Show that day came to Sunflower Street and we had a huge show in the paper the next day and for many years afterwards the Queen has made a point of coming to say hello to Peter, now she, he doesn't think so but she knows him very well and of course you know she used to watch TV years ago when Peter was a huge star on Pebbermill and of course, you know, she's got a lot to ask him about. And of course, he's got plenty to tell her. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. And we always like a few flowers picked from the garden That's to right. be presented uh, in a posy by one of our school children. That's you know? right. Yeah. And she, and she always, you know, all smiles. I mean, uh, and a few years ago, I did a book for Peter. Uh, I think another great event we were celebrating in his life. And... This book is like, it's like a, a royal's annual, you know. It's every <laughs> member of the royal family shaking hands with the great man. I have that book, Arthur. It's one of my most treasured possessions. It shows uh, all the visits we've made, you know, in Holland, in Belgium and across the country, on nurseries up in Lincolnshire, all kinds of places. It's a great memory prompt and I love it. And I love doing it, Peter. You're very welcome. <laughs> 
Oh, now I've got Joe Ball. Joe was the gatekeeper. If I needed to get to see the editor, there was the smiling Joe. Do you have any memories of our time at the Sun? I have very happy memories of our time at the Sun together. I remember very specifically you coming to see me. You'd always look after my orchids, which I used to have on the windowsill, if you remember. (laughs) Uh, Me not being very green-fingered. And yeah, happy days, really. It's great to get... um, so many people who've uh, supported me over the years just present to uh, go through some of those memories uh, and recall uh, some really good times really good times and I think the thing that was amazing for me about working at the Sun the diversity of work you know there I was a secretary in the editor's office and yet everything from Arthur Edwards to you with the gardening to the travel desk so every day brought something new and different. What a privilege it is for me anyhow to go in every day and work with all those bright young people. Totally I, I that's the one thing my abiding memory of working with people who are so intelligent and so vibrant I think you know you'd walk out on that floor in the morning calling people in for conference and a mixture of great brains and great fun. Yes sense of humor joe it's great to see you again oh well thank you for asking me pleasure millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Another of our treasured guests here today is Mr. Tim Rumble, the long-standing editor of amateur gardening now i've worked for tim for perhaps too many years tim how did you first get into uh, the world of journalism and gardening i became a gardener because i loved gardening i was it's a long story i was brought up as a vegetarian okay Okay. love food um always was interested my my mother particularly was interested in in the quality of food what it contained always taught us to to examine food and find out the right balance of foods because because she was a vegetarian and so I was always interested in food and so when when I I left home and knocked around in London and started to to live on my own uh, and tried to find food that that was some sort of equivalent it was really a real struggle so the first opportunity I got when I bought a house um, I started to garden and grow veg the first thing I did was plant veg no idea what I was doing lots of disasters lots of pest problems lots of these really problems absolutely cold oh, started with absolutely yeah yeah but I just wanted to get in there and find out what it was about I think uh, there's there's something in people uh, there's something very very innate 
uh, that says, I want to create my own food, I want to find my own food, I want to be responsible for it. There's something quite alien about just buying it all from shops and supermarkets. Um, so so that, that feeling of, of wanting to, to grow food, uh, grow plants... My father was a, a mad on, on the countryside as well, so that influence as well uh, drew me drew me into, into, into gardening and um, never looked back, you know. But then you had a career in journalism before you got into uh, gardening journalism. Yes, uh, I come from the North East. I come from North Shields. So I was brought up, born and brought up in North Shields. I don't detect that accent <laughs> from North Shields. Well, I can do it if you like, you know. <laughs> But born and brought up in North Shields, went to live in London for three years because there was no jobs in the North East back in the, in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, huge number of jobs in London. It was, it really, the streets really were paved with gold in those days. Um, could do whatever you wanted. Um, met a young lady. She was moving to Devon, moved to Devon, and, and uh, she was a journalist. And um, uh, so I went to live with her in Devon. Uh, and for the newspaper she worked for, um, they wanted somebody to write theatre. Now, I love theatre. <laughs> so, so I went to review all of the touring theatres that were going on around uh, Devon. I was doing a day job as a dustman, by the way. Uh, and, um, uh, and in the evenings, we'd go off around, around Devon to, to review all of these uh, travelling theatres. But what a lesson for young people. You worked as a dustman yeah. to finance yeah, yeah. Uh, the early start to your journalistic career. The key, as you will know, is that you have to earn a living. Yes, yeah. Yes. So that you were brought up with that. I was brought up with that. You have to pay your own way. It worries me slightly that young people nowadays aren't brought up that way. They feel that the things are just provided. You know, when people buy a house nowadays, they want the kitchen redone, the living room redone, the bedrooms redone. When we moved into houses, they were derelict. You know, the, the house I'm living in now was empty. There were bare floorboards. I went in there and I did most of the jobs myself to start with. It's a different attitude. It's a different approach to, uh, to living. Uh, I love being responsible for, for what I have and for what I do. If you have nothing and work hard and achieve something, you then, then you treasure what you've got. Absolutely, you own it. Yeah. But, but from Devon, Tim, then how did you get in, into uh, national journalism. Well, via motorcycles. <laughs> oh, crumbs. You're, sorry, you're sorry. impossible, <laughs> you are. <What? laughs> I, was, I was always a keen motorcyclist. And uh, I'd, I'd started doing theatre reviews for the Exmouth Journal, realised that I couldn't carry on doing uh, ordinary jobs, jobs that paid nothing, jobs that had no future. Started to apply for stupid jobs and got a job accidentally uh, as a features editor for a motorcycling magazine. In the office I'm working now <laughs> as editor of Amateur Gardening. Amazing. Very weird. Yeah. Um, anyway, that, that lasted a year. Then I went off into um, local newspapers. I, I launched a series of free newspapers um, over about three years uh, and then went into the local paid-for uh, daily, then went to... A subsidiary of that company, Special Publications, which did uh, American football, which I was vaguely interested in, um, and a microwave magazine and, and various other things. Oh, and a business paper. <laughs> and, and, sorry, you, your, your, your career has not been unlike this, Peter. Well, I could call you a jack of all trades here, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I want to get to London because that's where you were 
a Fleet Street journalist. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, so, so I then went on to special pubs, uh, and from there, uh, I, I was applying to international newspapers for about a year, uh, and and got some interest from the Daily Star um, in Manchester, and they had offices in Manchester. So I took a day's holiday. And, and I took the train up to Manchester and spent a day working on the desk as a sub and then took the train back. <laughs> and, and I did that three times. Yeah. And then they said, oh, well, we've got a London office. It might be more convenient for you. And they just opened the London office. Uh, and so I, I did two shifts up there, three shifts up there, possibly. Uh, and I was in the office one day and somebody walked in and said, um, uh, we need three more staff. So the chief sub turned to me and said, do you want a job? So I said, yeah, okay. So um, then started uh, a year and a half of drinking. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) that was the old days. I I heard about that. (laughs) And I I think I lived through it. But I wasn't one of those who were in Fleet Street from 12 o'clock till 3. So it really did happen, did it? Yes, yes, it did. And and it was was great fun. Uh, You were always left with a sense of, well, who is doing the job? What is going on here? But uh, I would turn up. We we had a a contract which allowed me three days off a week, so I worked four days a week. And four days a week, I'd turn up, and the chief sub would say, go downstairs and buy the first round. Uh, and then at four or five o'clock in the evening, you would stagger off to the station and go home. And that was your day's work. Really? Yes. So who wrote the copy? Come on. I think there were some freelancers in Manchester. <laughs> I remember at the, at the, the Sun, mm. we had, I think, 3,000 staff yes. in Fleet Street. And when we uh, moved, first of all, down to Wapping, yes. six people produced a paper yes. one evening. Yes. Yeah. You know, from the point of view of an employee, of course, you do what you're told. You know, you do what your boss says. My boss was the chief sub, so I did what the chief sub said. And if he said, go and get a round of drinks, I went and got a round of drinks. So it must have been quite a change when you went into amateur gardening as an editor. Now, that's a different world, isn't it? It was. I spent 11 years on Fleet Street. I spent eight years with the star and then three years jobbing around. I'd been looking around for other things, and chief sub came up on amateur gardening magazine being a gardener, loving gardening as a hobby, uh, I thought, oh, well, I can do that, you know, bit of gardening, you know, feet up on the desk, I'll do a bit of gardening, write a couple of stories and spend the weekend gardening. You know, that sounds great to me. Um, so I applied for the job and got it, gave my notice and left. And uh, that was the next day because it was a day, day contract, effectively. Um, uh, uh, so, so then I started with amateur gardening and I was working 12 hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> so much for putting my feet up, you know. Um, just just getting my head around stuff, getting getting writing the way it should have been. There were a lot of horticulturists, non-journalists, working on the on the and paper. We're not very good at writing copy, are we? Uh, well, I'm sure that you are, Peter, but and, and I know that you are. Um, you, you write for us regularly, <laughs> but 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 there were there were plenty of horticulturists who who wanted to express something and weren't really very able to do it. So what you had to do was try and whittle down maybe 200 words into a couple of sentences, um, and that could be hard hard work, you know. Yeah, but your newspaper experience would do that. That's I, exactly what I remember at the Sun. My instruction when I started. Yeah. You know, I want to know how, why, where or when. Five words a sentence, two sentences a paragraph, and if you can't tell me all of that in five paragraphs, don't waste my time. (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely true. There are so many writers 
and, and they are, they're interesting and entertaining to read, but they just talk around the point. They don't tell you what you want to know. And I think a, a good journalist tells you what, to, what you want to know with a bit of dressing. You yes. know, that dressing is what carries you through and it gives it the story character, but you want the facts. The facts are the important thing, and so many writers forget that. Now, Gardener's World is looking for the plant which created the greatest uh, influence over the past 50 years. Well, we, with your 18 years at Amateur Gardening, what would you think is the uh, development which uh, you think has had the greatest influence on gardens and gardeners? That's very difficult. I've always loved brassicas. I've always loved cabbages, largely because I like eating them. Uh, but the diversity of brassicas is extraordinary. You know, we, we have flowering plants that are brassicas. We have a huge range of edible plants that are brassicas. And, and I just love brassicas. So I would say, for me, what, what made me... Um, passionate about gardening was being able to grow my own brassicas you know I love them I, I, I think the differentiation between veg and, and ornamental plants is nonsense if you look at a good veg plot anyone who loves plants will just be swallowed up by a good veg plot I've seen your <laughs> veg plot Peter I know how good that looks and I know how you care about it so I know you feel the same way if, if, if you love plants it doesn't matter whether it's ornamental it doesn't matter whether it's a veg you're just sucked in You've got to be there, yeah? Tim, in your retirement from AG, I say thank you very much for uh, those of us who contribute and I'm sure for the readers. And I think perhaps we should uh, call you Mr Greens. <laughs> Love that, Peter. Thank you very much. Well, today's been uh, quite a day one way and another. So many good friends, uh, a number I haven't seen for a good many years. We've swapped some stories, I've learned a few new things too, and I hope you've enjoyed listening to some of these experiences. Well, my thanks to Mr Fothergill Seeds for sponsoring this podcast, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next Thursday. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.